is uh, September 26, 2010. Our message is heavyweight. Sukkot. Sukkot is the Hebrew word for the Feast of Tabernacles. It is uh, a few days ago, I think today is the 18th of Tishri, and it occurs on the 15th of Tishri and lasts a while. I mean, it's a, it's a really neat party in Israel if you're ever there this time of year. But one of the things I want to talk to you about is the story of an underdog, the story of a hero that comes from behind, the kind of thing that you can all identify with. I watched the movie Blindside uh, while I was driving last night. And at points, tears begin to well up in your eyes, even though you know what's coming because you've heard the story. Uh, there is something in us that identifies immediately with these kind of stories. The world has learned this, and so, you know, Sylvester Stallone in the 70s with no money and a pretty poor script and probably not the best acting skills in the world made millions of dollars with a movie like Rocky. We inherently are drawn to a story that has something that is small and weaker overcoming something that is larger through an intangible and yet tangible unseen force. We're drawn to it because this epic story is what God is doing in the creation. He is taking something that is a weaker vessel, something that looks lesser, and through his seen and yet unseen hand, he is causing us to overcome. With that in mind, whether it's Lancelot and Guinevere or it's any of these stories, there is something eternal in them, something that draws you to it, that touches your heartstring. As I began to think about that subject, I don't know whether it's the UFC that I love so much or boxing or what it is, but I am always going to root for whoever is not supposed to win. Do you have one of those guys at your party, right? Uh, everybody just knows LSU's gonna blow them out and uh, one guy shows up and he's painted like Ohio or something. He just compelled compelled to root for the underdog. Yeah, that's you, isn't it, John? <laughs> well, as I began to think about this, I thought about a man named Rocky Marciano, and this is because whether it's famous scenes in movies, uh, like Coming to America, there's a barbershop scene that nobody can forget if you've ever watched it. People that watch boxing argue about who the greatest heavyweights were of all time. And always, Rocky Marciano comes up. One of the reasons that that's difficult for us to kind of grasp is because this is before HBO. Uh, this is before pay-per-view, and we weren't exposed to it. But if you talk to somebody in my generation about Mike Tyson, most people got to see at least one highlight reel that had him in it. Well, as amazing as that is, I began thinking about why then are we so drawn to this? All right, and some of you aren't, and I get it. To some of you, you're just repulse that I would mention this kind of thing from the pulpit. Hear me out, though. I think it's that when you see these two men and one of them looks down and out, he's catching the worst part of it. And yet, the term puncher's chance comes to mind. If he can just lay a glove one time in the right spot, the whole thing can turn around. This is what I think draws us to it. And when I thought about Rocky Marciano, this dude's born in 1923, so we're talking about a different time period. He's born to two Italian immigrants. He's sickly. He was kicked off of his high school swimming team for his poor athletic performance. He was a dropout. His employment ranged from janitorial duties to digging a ditch. In fact, 
The job he held prior to heavyweight champion of the world was ditch digger. In 1952, he became the heavyweight champion of the world. And he said, well, there have been a lot of heavyweight champions. He had 49 victories with zero losses. <coughs> 49. 43 of them came by KO. 43 times knocked out his uh, opponent completely. And why do people like to see that? You like to see a clear victory. Not where you have to sit back and wonder, is the devil winning or is Jesus winning? How's this working? You want to see clear victory. Whether we're talking about Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Joe Frazier, Big George, Cassius Clay, they had devastating power in their hands. And usually in a right hand. Joe Lewis was the one who originated the quote, everybody has a plan until you punch them in the mouth. <laughs> it's been used many times through the years, but I want you to think about that for a moment. You can be losing, and somebody can be implementing or imposing their will upon you, but if you can just land the right shot at the right time, it is a game changer. One of the most memorable periods, and I promise we'll quit talking about boxing. I actually do have something from the Word to share with you today. One of the most memorable moments in all of sports history, it got the guy the Sportsman of the Century Award, was from 1960 to 1963, Cassius Clay correctly predicted the round in which he would knock out every opponent he faced. Not only can a man show complete and total dominance by victory through knockout, he named the round in which he would do it. I would like to point out that is before he became a Muslim. <laughs> he said, he used to say, they all fall in the round I call. Now that, that comes off as arrogance, doesn't it? And yet you're drawn to it in some way. Somebody could not only win, but tell you when it's going to happen. In 1964, he beat Sonny Liston. He was a 7-1 to one underdog, and there was a panel of 46 sports writers. 43 of them predicted his loss. 43 of 46. The devastating power of Rocky Marciano's right hand was a thing of wonder. Cassius Clay's ability to finish his opponent in the round that he called is amazing. His underdog victory in 64 is inspiring. But it all begins to pale in comparison. It's a mere shadow of a shadow of a shadow. It's not even a vapor when you begin to look at the way God is moving on mankind. All of these things, the ability to, to give a devastating knockout blow and change all of human history in a moment, the ability to name beforehand the day on which it will occur, hundreds if not thousands of years beforehand, is something that our God does. Anybody that has ever seen a Simpsons episode where a kid takes a Bible and throws it to a side and says it's boring, anybody that has ever heard somebody say that this book is boring doesn't understand it. And they don't understand it because those who claim to be teachers in the body of Christ have not had a revelation into it. They do not see it as life. They simply see it as a political ideology, some kind of membership to aspire to and to regurgitate to the masses. I see it everywhere I go. I see it in a heavyweight boxing match. I see it laying under a house fixing a foundation. I see it in my workplace. I see God's story being played out. 
The psalmist looked at a sun rising in the day and said, this is like a bridegroom coming for his bride, making the circuit like a champion crossing the pavilion. <coughs> Everywhere we looked. Sometimes people said, well, the beauty of nature speaks of the glory of God. It's not just the beauty of nature. Walmart speaks of the glory of God. Do you have eyes to see? We need to open our eyes and look at the glory that is around us. Turn with me to Exodus 15. There. Oh, amen, brother. Get there. Get there. In Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moshe and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Look at verse 3. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Friends, when you read this, doesn't it have a certain Howard Cosell to it? I mean, I, I can't do that imitation. But the, the enemy has fallen like a rock, he said. He's fallen like a stone in the depths, dropped in the waters. A majestic right hand shattering the enemy. When our God comes through in victory, what was the moment? What did it look like? Little Israel with no army of its own, no armament of its own, nothing of its own, is surrounded by the natural elements, the sea walls on the sides. They are pressed in by the most advanced, powerful army of its day. But with one shot, a right hand that was majestic, God shattered the enemy. If you're discouraged in here today, friends, stop and think about what the Lord has already done for you. If you are discouraged in here today, you need to realize our God has game-changing power in His right hand. Don't make it your business to sit around and reason God out of your reasoning. Don't make it your business to sit around and decide, well, if I do this, this will happen, and if they do this, that will happen. Our God has game-changing, bone-shattering power yeah. in His hands. There's no telling what will happen. Well, if I don't have a car, then this won't. Really? Really, because our God is just so limited, He couldn't even produce an automobile. Well, if I didn't have a job, then... Yeah, yeah, because your provision revolves around your boss, right? Think about it, saints. He is a game changer. His right hand, when He gets involved in a situation, you know He's there. Even if you can't see Him. This is worth meditating on. Turn with me to Psalm 20. I call the round in which they fall. <coughs> You're beginning to struggle to wonder what on earth heavyweights have to do with the Hebrew feast of Sukkot. I promise before the end of the message you will understand it. 
Can you trust me for a little while? Yeah. 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 You cling to the substance of something that you believe that, I don't know, you just can't quite wrap your arms around and touch yet? Yes. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. When? When does the Lord answer you, friends? Then why are we so upset about being there? If this is the place that you call on Him and He answers you, then why don't we want to go there? You were made to be put under stress. You were made to be in situations that were overwhelming to you that the God of the universe might cause you to overcome. He answers you while you're in... Not distress. Distress. We want to go to the prom. We want to go to the party. He might want you to go to the parking lot. This is where He answers you. Why when you're in distress? Because when you're in distress, you're finding out you don't have in and of yourself what it takes. And you need Him. And you wouldn't think that would be such a hard thing. In fact, probably all of you, if I asked you, do you have what it takes to be pleasing before God in and of yourself? would get the question right. But it's not a matter of answering the question. It's a matter of living it out in a relationship. Do you tend towards the sufficiency of your right hand? Or His right hand? May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. How does a name protect you? Well, I can tell you. I was in India, and there were some bad men who wanted to harass Anna and Israel. It actually got tense enough that even missionaries got out of a car so that we were not seated if there was a physical altercation. Anna leaned over and told the gentleman who his brother-in-law was. And they all left. Because his brother-in-law had a reputation that protected him. Kind of funny to see this Indian guy that is not very large. I said, Hey, you told me your name was Andrew, but they call you Ramu. And he goes, <laughs> And suddenly the little Indian seemed much bigger, you know, and walked with a certain swelling of pride. That's funny. I'm not at all speaking about just macho bravado, I'm talking about knowing who your big brother is, knowing who your father is. And you know what? I had the misfortune of meeting two brothers, and the older one beat me within an inch of my life. I got to go to the hospital over the ordeal. The little one had a big, big mouth. And he let me know almost every time I saw him that he could call his brother if he needed to. I tell you, I hated that. I hated it enough that there were times I didn't care. But I knew it was true. Come on now. Can you call your big brother? And do you walk with a sense of confidence knowing that your God is with you? You are at His side. You're only going where He has led you. There is no enemy that you cannot face down. Or for you is the gospel an intellectual pursuit. For you is the gospel just feel-good terminology and a, a good way to live. Because, friends, for me, it is a lifeline. It is a lifestyle. It is something I'm immersed in. I didn't just get baptized into Jesus' name as some hocus-pocus magic formula. I got immersed into who He is, His character, His authority, His reputation, and it 
protects me. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart. Isn't it interesting that is not plural there? May he give you the desire of your heart. Friends, seek first the kingdom and everything you need will be added to you. We know how to quote the verse, but let me ask you, what does your life say? Are you seeking the kingdom, the desire of your heart, far and above, beyond anything else, or is it only a creed? Like a husband says, I love my family more than anything, but he never spends any time with them, never sees them, never sacrifices his own will for them. When it comes down to deer hunting or playing with the kids, Bambi's going to get dead. Come on, where are you at with this? Is the kingdom your sole desire, or do your friends at work compete with that desire? Is the kingdom your sole desire to the point where your life is wrapped up in it? Or are you hedging your bet in case this doesn't quite work out? Friends, there's an enemy. And I will give him no glory today, but I, suffice it to say, he's had mankind on the ropes for thousands of years. He's beaten more people than you can imagine. And your one hope is to be solely invested in God's right hand working in you. It is your one hope. But it cannot be a partial dependence. It cannot be thrown in a haphazard way. It cannot be just flailing. It must be kingdom purposefully thrown. May He give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He saves them from His heaven, holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. You have a choice in what you will lean on. When they say horses and chariots, some might say M16 and tank. Somebody else might say my annuity and my insurance policy. Someone else may say my job and my family support. You have a choice in this world in what you will lean on. The Bible is largely the story of those who looked devoid of anything to lean on. They were underdogs and outcasts because they didn't look like they belonged in the ring. But they had something no one knew anything about. Devastating, bone-shaking, game-changing power at their disposal. Come on now. When you walk into a room, does the darkness flee from you? Christians go hide in their houses at Halloween. It's coming up. Oh my gosh, it's, a, it's an evil month. It's an evil month. Really? Really? Have you become so impotent spiritually that you can't handle a ridiculous witchcraft holiday? That you can't find a way to advance the kingdom? That a little kid painted like a ghoul poses such a threat to you, you've got to go hide in your house, turn off your lights? I just don't want to participate. But let me ask you, all the years you haven't participated, how many people got born again? There is no chance if you won't even step in the ring. When you step into a room, does darkness flee from you? Or is it attractive to you? See, these are good questions to ask Christians. 
some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Tell me, that is also not Howard Cosell like. He's fallen to his knees and he will never rise again. Ten count. He's out. But do not gloat over me, my enemy. For though I have fallen, yet will I rise. If a righteous man falls seven times, I will still rise. Our God loves the underdog story. He let his nation go down for the count for 1,800 and some odd years. And in a single day, it became the world contender. Every day Israel is in the news. When's the last time you heard in the news? Um, I don't know. Something about the French Polynesian Islands. No. Other than this one earthquake, when's the last time you or volcano, when's the last time you heard about Iceland in the news? Well, it's because Israel's so big. <laughs> it's because of all that oil Israel has. No? Well, why are they in the news every day? Because God's people have always been small in stature, but big in power. 